You are listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. We're building a community around this type of entrepreneurship as we try to accelerate growth in our region. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is episode number seven. Our guest today is Doug Jones, founder and CEO of Ignite Labs. Doug is an entrepreneur and innovator with over 20 years experience in product design and business development. Doug's experiences span multiple sectors, including the sports goods sector, pro sports marketing, publishing, and product development. In 2018, Doug founded Ignite Labs and has been leading the organization as CEO to develop a startup and innovation ecosystem in rural Nova Scotia. After attending St. Mary's University in the commerce program, Doug quickly followed his passion for sports, getting involved in sports marketing and product development with companies such as Wilson, Louisville Slugger, Rawlings, the Toronto Blue Jays, Phil Sims, quarterback camps, pro performance sports, and others. So many. Doug has also expended his uh, business ventures to include two ocean tech startups recently, and he's working diligently to shrink the province to help companies grow in rural parts of Nova Scotia. Doug, we're so excited and thrilled that you could be with us today. Welcome to our show. Thanks very much. Excited to be here. Awesome. Really happy that you're here with us. Um, I, I did give a bit of a of an overview about yourself, um, and I tried to touch on a few things that you've been up to over the last little while, but I was wondering if you could share with our listeners uh, a little bit more about yourself and give us a, a little bit of uh, detail about uh, how you came into this uh, into this role that you're doing uh, at Ignite. Sure. Yeah, it, it's kind of an unexpected journey, I guess, for me. I never really set out to start an organization like Ignite. I think it just sort of eventually happened. But like you said, my main focus in growing my business was to work in the sports industry. Sports was always a passion of mine growing up. I just happened to not be blessed with a six foot four, 240 pound <laughs> body. So, so uh, brains and desire only take you a certain distance in sports. So I ended up uh, kind of getting into that world and, and achieved some success, especially in the licensing part of sports. So developing new products and bringing them to market. And I guess that led me to ignite in that I was doing all of this from a rural place, but working with some major global companies like Wilson and and Slugger and um, and bringing product innovation or ideas or inventions to market with those companies. So that caught the attention of uh, some friends of mine at ACOA and they kind of scratched their heads and wondered how I was doing this from a small community like Yarmouth. And uh, I guess started asking me questions about how I did this and how I did it without some of the assistance programs that, that were in place. And and then eventually led to them asking me if I could teach others to do this. And and I did have a, a career in education with the Nova Scotia Community College. So I, I was used to teaching people and I was willing to share how I did it. And, and you know, that led to a discussion on whether I thought it, um, at first, they approached me about starting a tech incubator in a small community like Yarmouth, but I quickly said I didn't feel that a strictly tech-oriented innovation hub would work, um, but I was open to all industries. So 
as we discussed that, um, we kind of formulated a bit of a plan that, yeah, we could start something, open it up to all industries, but look at surrounding the entrepreneur with resources that I guess how ACOA put it was, uh, what would I have needed starting out as an entrepreneur that would have accelerated my my success, I guess. And and one of, one of the things was those resources, things that I guess I take for granted now in, in Ignite, the, the 3D printers and the CNC machines and the and the recording studio and and photography and video equipment and mentorship and all those things those are all things that i felt would have helped me and um i wanted to provide those for new entrepreneurs getting into business and that kind of led me to building this kind of network of organizations that had assets that we could use um and these these resources were all across the province so we started to build this network of organizations to help support these individual entrepreneurs and that really led to where we are now but that's a kind of quick rundown of it but like i said i didn't start out thinking i'm gonna run a an accelerator incubator in rural nova scotia I thought I thought I'd be playing for the Detroit Red Wings or something, but uh, you know, it just didn't happen that way. I'm happy. Yeah, I think I'm happy I where it, I am, though. But <laughs> I think I remember you telling me about your uh, your forays on the uh, on the ice, yeah, uh, and trying to 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 make it out that way. But I'm glad yeah. you. Uh, well, in a way, I'm kind of glad that you kept with your sports enthusiasm, but found another uh, outlet for it. So with uh, with Ignite, you've started this accelerator that is now in two locations. You have an accelerator location that is in Yarmouth, and then there's a, another one that I think just opened up in Picto last year. And we've talked a little bit about this, and I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart because uh, you found yourself in that sort of position, you know, being a hard-scrapping entrepreneur trying to um, make it in the world, uh, in your case, in uh, sports marketing and sports product development, and really having to kind of struggle and find your own your own way, and looking for those kinds of supports that could help others move a little bit more quickly or or to get some of those resources and support. And we've talked a little bit about this um, around this idea around innovation driven entrepreneurship. Um, and this is something we always ask our guest, which is, you know, you're running an accelerator, you're working with companies that are in rural parts of Nova Scotia, but that have no less entrepreneurial caliber, no less entrepreneurial spirit and interest. How do you define what innovation-driven entrepreneurship is? Um, it's an interesting question because innovation in itself is a bit of a, a buzzword these days but what i equate innovation driven entrepreneurship to is is really having a defined problem that you're trying to solve and and when i look at innovation driven entrepreneurship i look at a an entrepreneur that comes through our doors that says i experienced this problem and I've got some ideas on how I would solve this. And and usually we start at, okay, is it a problem that you have or is it a problem that a lot of people have? 
and then we work backwards. But I always talk about innovation doesn't exist in one space. Like what I found when I first started it, when we started talking about innovation, everybody automatically thought we were talking about IT related technologies or things of that nature. But innovation is as simple as one one great example is a, a local company, IMO Foods here. It's a Oh, I think they're close to 80 years old. They're an old cannery operation, and they've been innovating in a big way in the last uh, number of years, especially with automation and things like this. But they told me a story of them having an issue on their canning line where they needed to flip the cans on their back in a certain fashion to make their production line work. And it wasn't working. They were coming up upside down, all this sort of stuff. So they hired an engineering firm, which is typical. We hire an engineering firm, we pay them 150 grand and we expect the cans to lay on their back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it, it was clearly not working for them. So this, um, this guy in their maintenance crew comes out from behind the scenes with a little welding torch and a little piece of metal and he holds the piece of metal against this, he welds it in place and then turns the production line on and every can going through that production line flips on its back. Mm. And to me, that was truly innovation. It's not innovation in what the public perceives as innovation, but what it did was it led to improvement. Mm -hmm. Improvement in production, improvement in, in quality that's coming out of the production line. So it, it became very important. And I've always tried to take that view. The innovations that have happened over the last couple of centuries have, you know, there's some innovations that that change the world. And, and we often talk about big impact things like telecommunications, like the phone and radio and things like this. And and I, when I talk about innovation, I talk about eyeglasses, because if you look at the impact that eyeglasses have had on populations around the world, it's a thing that has allowed people to educate, <laughs> to learn, to mm -hmm. read, to survive in, in society. It's impacted so many people. And those types of innovations are huge. And, and we talk about John Patch, who's a, who's um, a relatively unknown entity in Nova Scotia, but he was from Yarmouth. He was a fisherman who invented the screw propeller. And if you look at the impact that that's had on the globe, it's huge because without that screw propeller, we don't have the same environment that we have today. But the problem with John Patch was he kind of died penniless because he didn't know anything about running a business or patents or <laughs> things mm -hmm. like that. So he, he he was in a difficult situation, but that was innovation that happened in rural Nova Scotia from a fisherman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we sometimes discount the value that hands-on experiential learning that a fisherman or a, a construction worker or anybody has. They're often the most innovative minds out there. Mm. And, uh, and it's, it, so it's a long winded answer to a, to a short question, but that's kind of my take on what innovation driven it, it's the problem first, what are you trying to solve? And does it have a global audience for those solutions? Yeah. Thanks for uh, sharing that as someone who recently had to start wearing eyeglasses, 
I do appreciate eyeglasses because it lets me see <laughs> the exit ahead so I don't crash. So that's number yep. one. And yep. as someone who also likes to go on motorboats, I also appreciate the propeller. So right, just right. saying. <laughs> <laughs> Two great things. But I want to pick up on something else that you just said as well, because the other part of what you mentioned is, you know, there's one part of the innovation journey or that journey towards innovation-driven entrepreneurship, whereas the person has a bright idea, is bringing something new into the world that's going to make a difference or going to make an impact. Uh, but you talked about the inventor making the propeller, basically becoming penniless and not really being uh, financially successful in what they were doing because they didn't have the background or the skills to move that forward into an actual business. And I find that really interesting as well, because in order to make things move forward, we live in a bit of an ecosystem. Nobody is completely on their own. A, a great idea with no resources behind it or people to support it is just a great idea, but doesn't go anywhere. So I think that um, what you're doing at Ignite is really interesting in helping to um, uh, create that environment where folks who may have an interesting idea or an invention or business idea can take it and move it forward with the right supports that can help and support and grow their business. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, since we're on this topic of the entrepreneur's journey, and we touched on it kind of a little bit at the very beginning with your interest in sports and sports product development and marketing, can you tell us a little bit about your entrepreneur's journey? Because I think a lot of people here in the region know you as the CEO for Ignite, but you also have uh, other things that you are involved in and doing that uh, other people might not be as aware of. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess I've always been an entrepreneur as long as I can remember. Uh, I was always my dad would call me the hustler, um, <laughs> just trying to make something out of nothing. But kind of my my entrepreneurship journey is I was always looking at uh, starting businesses and I was looking at opportunities, but until I focused on something that I was really passionate about, I found a lot of my businesses were successful, but not to the level that I had hoped. So when I started concentrating on sports, I was lucky to have some connections in the sports world, have some background as an athlete and coach and scout. So I made some connections there early, but what I recognized, and I, it really took off when my kids were young, both my kids are at university now, but when my son in particular started playing sports, he was a lot like me, not blessed with a six foot four body, but he was 10 times the athlete I ever was, but he was very into to baseball as was I. And I started looking at ways to help him improve his game. And I started looking at little inventions, just trying to help him more than anything else. And when I did that, I started to recognize things that were helping to improve his game and also to make things a little easier for me as a dad. So one of my products that I have uh, under license with uh, Louisville Slugger is a soft toss machine. And this soft toss machine was invented in my basement. It was invented simply because I was tired of sitting on buckets tossing baseballs to my son every night. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, it was born out of laziness. Um, but my son was playing for the provincial baseball team back then, and as soon as supper was done, he would say, "Let's go down in the basement and hit baseballs." 
So I would toss them, you know, sometimes 400, 500 baseballs a night. And I'm, I was getting bad at it because after you toss a few baseballs, you stop, stop being consistent. So I invented that. I pieced together this contraption that somehow worked and he was able to load the machine himself, do all of his training. And I could sit back and talk to him and coach him and help him. And, um, when I took that to the field, I, I saw all these kids lining up to try it. Hmm. And uh, these are these are really good young athletes that were saying, where can I, can you make me one <laughs> sort of thing? And where do I get this? And, and uh, at that point in time, I had helped some other companies uh, secure licenses with some other companies. And I said, well, I'm going to make some phone calls. So I, I called uh, Louisville and uh, said, listen, uh, can I show you something? And I, I flew down to Louisville and, and had this rough prototype that didn't look pretty, but it worked and explained the story, explained how it worked. And they really took a liking to it. And then the next thing, you know, they're talking about, do you want a, a licensing deal or whatever? So I had to quickly learn about licensing and, and uh, putting together those deals. But <laughs> at the end of the day, they, I didn't want to be a manufacturer. What I wanted to do was keep inventing, keep developing new products. So now I'm at a stage where every year, minus the last year, because of COVID, I'm invited down to Wilson's head offices in Chicago to pitch them on two new products. They said, just bring us two new products every year and we'll <laughs> we'll see. And so I've got uh, six different products under license and, and developed a licensing business around this where I get uh, royalty payments out of major companies. And all I have to do is keep feeding the funnel. And uh, that's kind of how this company has evolved. But I'm constantly getting involved in new ventures. And I've got a mm -hmm. couple of new companies that are just launching or, or recently launched that we're bringing products to market. And, you know, there's, um, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon because I get excited about making something new. As long as I'm still excited, mm. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's uh, We were thinking about, you know, that many people have great ideas, but are never able to really turn them into, you know, marketable products. And you've been able to do this with a few different products and ideas. And it sounds like you have this great relationship and you can go down and pitch new things that, that pop into your head. Uh, that might be a fit for the sports industry. How do you keep that going? Is, is it that you just look for inspiration or how, well, how are you able to do that? Yeah, it's it's somewhat inspiration. It, it's uh, watching uh, and observing uh, what's happening and where problems are. Um, I'm very good at identifying, you know, pain points that I see in industry or pain points that I see in sports. And I had the advantage of... Um, Quite a few years ago, I started, um, I was involved in baseball and, and I started these uh, camps called the, well, they're now called the Honda Super Camps with the Toronto Blue Jays. So I worked with a bunch of former Toronto Blue Jays that were part of the World Series teams. And we traveled across Canada running camps for kids. What I quickly found out was there's no money in that. <laughs> it's fun to travel with these guys, but it's not a moneymaker. But at the same time, I got to watch how these pros advise kids on how to get better. 
And I also got to pick their brains after the camps on what they do. And there's one interesting story. There's a a former ball player. His name is Bill Spaceman Lee. And uh, (laughs) Spaceman is a very good name for Bill, but really good uh, friend of mine. And we'd travel all over the place together. We'd travel down. He's been to Cuba with me playing baseball and the whole thing. But when we're traveling, he would stop on the side of the road and he'd pick up these big rocks just on the side of the road. And he'd start doing exercises with these rocks in his hands. And it was always interesting to me. He's a, an eccentric guy. You don't get a name spaceman without being eccentric, but he, <laughs> he would do this all the time. So we'd talk about it. He's the oldest professional baseball player in history. He pitched a professional game in California uh, with a single A professional team three years ago at the age of 69. Whoa. So he's the real deal. He's still pitching today. And there's been movies made about this guy and really interesting. But I asked him about these rocks and he said, well, this is my form of exercise because I can stretch my ligaments. I can I can hold something in my hand that has a bit of weight to it and I can do these little drills. And that's why I can still pitch at 69 years old. So what did I do? I went home and I had a 3D printer and I started designing a rubber version of those rocks. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and uh, I came up with this design and it's in market now. It's called the X-Ball uh, with Louisville. And it does the same thing. It's a weighted rubber ball that allows you to stretch and do these exercises. And I worked with sports physiotherapists. I worked with rehab consultants, all that. And um I was able to go into Louisville and explain to them what the story is behind this. And they all knew who Bill Spaceman Lee was. So right away I had a deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't matter about the product, <laughs> but I learned a lot from um, asking questions mm-hmm. and not trying to have answers for everything. Mm-hmm. I think I think I can offer suggestions, but at the same time, I think it's more important to listen more than you talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people accuse me of talking a lot, and I do, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not the important one in the room. It's uh, it's a, whoever you're talking to usually has some insight, yeah, and uh, and that's the big thing is uh, I try and learn something from people every day. Um, usually, uh, usually it's my staff teaching me. <laughs> quite honestly, that's true. So. I've I've been told I'm a bit chatty myself, so <laughs> <laughs> that's okay though. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you were mentioning your products and kind of your process and being curious and asking questions to help you think about how to develop a new product or figure out where there's a, a pain point. And, and you've been quite successful with your soft toss machine and uh, I guess your X-Ball as well. But there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are out there who are kind of struggling with marketing their products. I know this is definitely uh, you know, something you've done a lot of work on and is um, something you focused on in your background. What's any advice that you might have for some of those entrepreneurs? Because I think marketing is something that uh, sometimes gets a little bit overlooked, um, yeah. especially when people are so focused on getting that product and the fit yeah. right. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> we see it a lot. Um, what I recognize now is we get a lot of entrepreneurs that come through the door that have an idea but they haven't done the work. They haven't put together something. And I usually tell them, you know, how I put together my first products. And my first product that went to market was 
the prototype that I have was the ugliest piece of equipment. I spent probably $13 to make this thing. <laughs> and that, <clears throat> but the thing is I made something. And that's step number one is don't talk about it. Don't ask somebody else to do it for you. You've got to put in some sweat. And I, I'd say that to every entrepreneur when they come in with an idea, I said, okay, I'm going to put some tools in front of you, but you have to build it. And I think that's important. Now, people think that you need to have a finished product. And in my world, in the licensing world, I think you have to have a demonstrable product, but it doesn't have to be over-engineered. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the companies are going to take it and they're going to make it their own. It's going to look different and you can't be married to that product. So you, ha you have to be willing to have input and you have to have thick skin and you're going to have to fail. You know, I have a basement full of product designs that I made that are sitting in my basement that have never gone to market. And I keep them because I'm hoping someday these companies wake up and say, Doug had this idea, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the fact is you're going to fail. The other thing about marketing is start, I, I talked about the pain point. And what, what really I mean by that is you need to start with your customer. Most inventors that I know started with themselves. And the problem with doing that is you're always inventing for yourself and you think everybody else is like you. And that's purely not the case. So one of the things, you know, I recognize that batters were getting thumb and finger injuries when they're hitting, they're playing in cold weather, it's vibrating their hands, you know, all kinds of stuff. And a lot of batters I would work with squeeze the bat too tight and you want to have loose hands when you're swinging the bat. So I invented a little rubber piece that goes over your thumb and finger that prevents that sting and loosens your grip simple little rubber piece. How that product was invented was I had a little router at home. I took a block of wood. I carved out what I thought it would look like. This was before I had a 3D printer. <laughs> and and then I Googled, how do I make rubber? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I found a recipe that you go and get silicon from the hardware store and you mix it with cornstarch and you make this little putty, you squeeze it into a cavity, and then you heat it up with a heat gun. Well, that's stuff that anybody can do. Like, I didn't need to be a rocket scientist to do that. So that's what I did. And then I had a working prototype. And now, if you watch closely on Major League Baseball, every once in a while, you'll see a batter with something around their finger and thumb. Hmm. And that was invented in my basement with a router. Cost me probably... 50 cents worth of material <laughs> to create, but I created something. So we're all the same. We all talk about, oh, I had that idea 10 years ago, but I never did it. And, mm -hmm. and you see it in market. That happens all the time. I guess the difference with me is when I have an idea, I build it. I try and create it. Even if I fail, I'm still creating it. And people are, I guess there's a fear. There's a fear of somebody saying they don't like what you're doing. Mm. And, and I think that's healthy for us to say, okay, you're entitled to your opinion, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to keep going. As long as it's not costing you a huge amount of money, I think keeping going and keeping th that childhood kind of mindset where we play and we break stuff and we experiment and 
we lose that as we age. I'm kind of still a big kid. So mm. I like I like to play and break stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I think we should all be like that uh, mm. in our own worlds and keep on exploring. Um, mm. So again, long-winded answer for a short question, but that's kind of my advice to anybody who has an idea is to do it, build mm. it, and then see if it works. And not worry about going and securing $200,000 worth of funding. <laughs> you know, we start funding first uh, a lot of times and I, it's backwards. I'd prefer to prove that I have something first. Mm -hmm. The money I will follow. I think I'd like to um, come over to Ignite Labs and uh, play around with whatever you have uh, kicking around over yeah. there, or 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 maybe in your kitchen with the so whatever you have go, <laughs> yeah. going on Where, there. Wherever I am, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so what was your was that part of your your thinking? You know, you 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 were have been a successful entrepreneur. You 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 like to tinker and try and make things and just test it out and create and uh, kind of prototype. Was was that some of your motivation for for uh, launching Ignite Labs? Like, what what was it that made you say, "I want to do this"? Um, well, <laughs> I I guess Koa and the province kept asking me to do it, <laughs> so <laughs> so eventually break down. But I was always interested in it. I was working with a number of entrepreneurs and companies, uh, anyways. I figured, well, why not formalize it? Why not have a a place. I, I saw it as a real challenge because I think at the time there was a mindset that innovation couldn't occur in the rural place and that we couldn't have a startup ecosystem here. And hopefully we're changing that mindset. We're far from perfect. You know, we have our struggles. COVID right in the middle of all this doesn't help. But again, I think we're fortunate and I think it's an opportunity with COVID to really stop focusing on a local mentality and look at what are the emerging global opportunities here. So we talked about my soft toss system earlier, and that's a perfect example. Like we had launched that a couple of years ago in Dallas and we had a good first year and everything was going gangbusters. We were happy. And then COVID hit and I thought, oh, this is really going to hurt. Well, within three weeks, we were sold out everywhere on the planet. Mm. Because we were heavy on Amazon, everybody wanted to train. Everybody wanted to train at home. They didn't want baseball to go away, but they didn't have teams to play with. They didn't have partners. They were training at home. And my product was a perfect fit. They mm -hmm. could train with that in their basement or their garage or in their backyard all by yourself. So timing was really good for me in that circumstance. But I think I started thinking through COVID, where are the other opportunities? And I'm starting to see that with our startups too. They're starting to recognize, like uh, we have a, a videographer who specializes in, in drones and 360 degree tours. He pivoted and is now doing a whole bunch of real estate stuff because now he's recognizing that people looking at real estate in Southwestern Nova Scotia, most of these people are coming from places like Ontario and they need to have an immersive experience. So mm -hmm. he he pivoted to that space, which was great because he actually doubled his business by doing that. So that's kind of, and I guess the other thing with Ignite, I often talk about collisions and collisions are when you put 
entrepreneurial thinkers in the same space, even if they're distinctly different types of industries, those collisions cause some interesting combinations, interesting combinations or interesting opportunities for both entrepreneurs. And that's what I like about what's occurring here is that the collisions between these types of entrepreneurs is leading to different types of businesses. It's leading to other types of ideas coming to the table. I think we often lose sight of that interaction between individuals or groups. And uh, that's been a big part of our growth is, mm. uh, is just being around like-minded people. Um, mm. it, it's huge in a rural place. I would be the first one to tell you because of the business I was in, I was fairly isolated. I couldn't go across the street and talk to somebody else who was working with the Toronto Blue Jays. I couldn't talk to somebody else who worked with racehorses, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and different types of pro sports. I, I didn't know anybody who worked with NFL teams or, or former players. So I was isolated, even though I was doing these great things and traveling around North America doing them. When I came home, it was hard for me to talk about that with other people. So most people, I would guess that most people in the province really don't have any idea of what what I've mm-hmm. done or, or or my background, but that's mostly because I just don't talk about it, <laughs> except here, <laughs> except here. Yeah, you're, the, well, you're, you're now, breaking the story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Well, now everybody's going to know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> worst, worst uh, kept secret. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting. You're talking about the importance of community, mm. and I think that that's something we're we've always at onset we're really interested in innovation community or innovation ecosystem and thinking about places that are in rural or you know areas that are harder harder to to get to you know how do you create that collision as you mentioned that opportunity for collaboration and colliding ideas you know when you're you're living in a, a much more distributed uh, geography uh, and the interesting thing with covid is that we're seeing that it it has an impact but it's uh, manageable you know, there's technology out there that allows you to get around that yeah. for sure. And so as long as you've got internet, which yeah. sometimes even for me, I, my internet's <laughs> a, little, a little spotty, but there's kind of ways around that. And so I think there is this really interesting opportunity for people who are in rural areas to overcome some of those barriers, not to say that it's suddenly disappeared because, you know, access to places like Ignite are so important in developing that community and space for collision. Yeah. Are there things that you think, um, you know, at, at Onside, you know, we're really focused on inclusive innovation um, and we want to see more and more people be able to access and participate in uh, this this ecosystem to bring uh, around growth and development and, and all of those kinds of things. Is there something that you, you feel that could be done in our ecosystem that could you know, make this a little bit more of a reality? Is there anything that you've been thinking about? Well, I think you're absolutely right. The growth in innovation-driven entrepreneurship, I think, is closely tied to inclusivity. Uh, I think that's a super important piece in Nova Scotia because people often look at Nova Scotia and don't realize how diverse our population is. From a visible minority standpoint and immigration standpoint and all that. I think those are important things. What I'm recognizing, and this is 
front and center with us. Uh, I think my team would attest that we're always talking about, okay, how do we reach people that aren't coming in our door? Like there's populations out there that could benefit from being involved with Ignite and we could benefit from being involved with them. So we're constantly looking at that. I think it's a big challenge because I think you, in a lot of communities, you need to meet them where they are. You know, we we really enjoy our work with First Nations communities and, and things like that. But we recognized early that, you know, we shouldn't be prescribing what it is that they need to be doing. What we should be doing is being supportive and maybe meeting them where their challenges are. So we're learning it as we go. But I think there's a number of communities that are underrepresented. There's a number of um, individual groups that are underrepresented. And I think we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, one of the focus areas that we recognized in our rural communities is, is, uh, is a lot of the challenges faced by female founders female entrepreneurs trying to start businesses and and things like this. And what we found in some of the rural communities is some distinct challenges on things like childcare. Many of our entrepreneurs were coming, they were single mothers, um, which made for challenging circumstances if it was in-person events that we were hosting and things like that. So we recognized that uh, quite a while ago and, and my team, and you've, you've been a guest on one of their uh, sessions not too long ago, <laughs> was our She Means Business initiative. So I'm not as involved with that because it, it's led by our female team members um, who are doing that. But what we've done is we've built a great network of female founders and the female founders are from all levels. Some are just interested in entrepreneurship. Some are successful entrepreneurs. Some are just, you know, wanting that social aspect, but that was one of the more successful initiatives we've done. And it's mostly because we recognize that there was a gap in support systems for those entrepreneurs. And, and we were trying to make them fit the mold that we've established in government and business centers and things like this. But I think we need to revisit that and say, okay, we have to break that model and kind of meet people where they are and see if we can develop systems that support those entrepreneurs. Because entrepreneurship is not done in a, in a boardroom anymore. I think it, it's done virtually in many cases. <laughs> I, I was at a thing last night with my wife and we met this uh, girl from Quebec who was at this event and it turns out that she's uh, running a pickle company hmm. and she's doing it from Claire, Nova Scotia, but based out of Laval, Quebec. And I thought it was really interesting that I've never heard of a pickle company in Nova Scotia, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to try that. But of course I quizzed her up on all aspects of pickles. Uh, <laughs> but but I thought it was cool that we have these people in our communities working remotely now. And I think that's a real opportunity for us. If the work that uh, groups like Develop Nova Scotia are working on a rural internet rollout and things like this, I think those are empowering. Those, mm -hmm. are, those are infrastructure pieces that empower us to attract new people to our province and give them the ability to run potentially large companies from their home 
or from co-working spaces or, or places like Ignite. I think it's a really interesting time. And we're in the middle of this. We're bringing, uh, we've got a project we haven't officially announced, but we're bringing five technology software engineer level immigrants to Canada to set up in Yarmouth and to do e-commerce rollouts with this company through Ignite. And I think that's super important. We need more, we need more immigration. We need more tech talent. We need more talent in general. And I think that diversity makes for really interesting opportunities. And, um, mm. and that's just one project, but I think that situation right now, we see it growing and growing in these rural communities. I think people have a real desire to live in a place like, you know, mm -hmm. New Glasgow or Yarmouth or Digby or places like this, if they can run their business. Yeah, I feel uh, like we're pretty blessed here with uh, the oh, natural yes. beauty and safety and access to super smart people who have great ideas yeah. and an environment that's really trying to uh, allow those things to come into fruition. Um, I had just a couple more questions. Uh, yep. This is kind of related to a little bit of what you were just talking about. And I was kind of wondering, you know, you've been uh, running Ignite for a couple years now. You talked about She Means Business and some of the, the work that's being done there, really looking at empowering rural communities. Is there something so far that's been your, your proudest moment at Ignite? Well, every day is pretty interesting here. Um, you know, <laughs> my, my I, I've got a pretty good team here and they're always coming up with new ideas. So I, I it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, I Certainly, we've gotten some great recognition over the last couple of years. We were named the Canny National Social Innovation Award winner this year, which was great. Two years in, we're getting a national award. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So I think those are great things. Not that we're chasing awards, but Volta gave us the Catalyst Award last year and things like that. I think those are great for our team members because it's a recognition of what they do. I purposely try not to take credit for a lot of the things that Ignite does because uh, it's the team that executes a lot of these things. For me, you know, I, I think I'm most proud of uh, kind of the way we we've set up four pillars at Ignite. Really, we work with youth. Um, and the reason why we do that is we want to be active in building the future. So we want to expose youth to, you know, some industry avenues for their growth. Uh, we also want to expose them to science, technology, engineering, and math, all that good stuff. And things like our uh, we launched our Young Women in Ocean Tech initiative with Cove and Dow Idea Hub and DeepSense and IBM. And just doing initiatives like that are really exciting for me because I guess my kids are, are grown and at university now, but I saw little gaps throughout. Not that there, we have a great education system, but, but I think injecting uh, different career paths is important. So that makes me proud. Um, I think the way we approach industry innovation and actually talk to people on the front lines of industry and find out, you know, where the pain points are and and work with our partners to to maybe push out to the entrepreneurial world, you know, what would you guys do? 
and come up with solutions. And we're we're working on some stuff around uh, waste stream. A lot of what we do is around environmental impact. So we're working on some plastic waste challenges now. We've done some some fish waste uh, work over the last couple of years. You know, looking at ghost gear and rope waste. Those things are super important, and I think it we're in those communities that that some of that um, environmental impact is happening. So we can be an active participant in in some of the solutions around that. And then, you know, I'm also proud proud of our startups because it, it's not an easy thing to start a business, and it's not easy to to stand up and say I'm an entrepreneur because there's a lot of work involved in being an entrepreneur and it, and it sometimes takes years before you have any level of success or it sometimes takes years until you fail and that's okay too <laughs> but but uh, you know I I'm proud to see those little successes and big successes coming out of our companies and then our communities um, because what we're trying to do is connect, all of our communities together and really have an innovation mindset. Um, so that includes our government, uh, local governments and things like this. And we've been blessed in both of our locations and throughout the province that these, these communities have really rallied around what it is that we're trying to do. And they've offered so much support that uh, those have made it a success. So I know I'm not saying one thing, but uh, <laughs> I'm kind of proud of, I'm I'm proud of all of those things. Uh, I think, again, we have a lot of work to do and we're not perfect, but every day we're doing something that's improving the game. And uh, hopefully in another few years from now, you know, I can walk away and somebody takes it on and takes it that much further. You know, I just want to uh, build a legacy that changes our communities. And, uh, that's the goal. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that with us. I have one last question. Sure. I think this is almost my last question. I always say that. That's uh, okay. What do you think? Entrepreneurship, nurture or nature? Ah, yeah. I knew you were going to ask me that <laughs> question. Um, in my case, I think it's nature, but I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that you can teach the basics. But what I, what I recognize... Um, because I, I hear this a lot, uh, our work with some of the universities and, and colleges in the province, uh, there's gen the talent generation, uh, we've got, uh, Nova Scotia is unique in that the amount of education um, being pushed out is, is incredible and the, the talent coming out is great. But it doesn't mean, we teach a lot of entrepreneurship training in the schools, um, in, in colleges, universities. It doesn't mean that they should become an entrepreneur coming out. Um, hmm. so, some do, but I think experience is really valuable too. Um, I think if anything, if I was taking entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, I don't even think was a term when I went to school. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, this was pre, pre-internet. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but back then, I think the most valuable things I did was I, 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 went and did some really, really lousy jobs uh, and worked and got my hands dirty and, and learned what it was like. And I worked with some startup companies and I learned some of the challenges they were going through. Um, but I still wasn't scared. So I jumped into entrepreneurship 
but those I often look back and I and those experiences were were huge for me. So I think that teaching aspect of it is important. Um so my short answer <laughs> <laughs> is is the answer is it depends on the individual. Uh, mm. because I think you can teach many of the entrepreneurial uh skills, but I I don't believe you can teach somebody to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. I mm. think I, I think there's um that's interesting. A, it's a very individual thing. Um, I, you know, for me, I was always an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, simple as that. It's, it's interesting you say that. In uh, we, we sometimes ask our guests this uh, this question, and it's interesting because I would say many of the people we've talked to over our podcast uh, several episodes now, uh, I don't think that many of them would have started off to characterize themselves as entrepreneurs. Right. Uh, many of them had a something they were interested in, or a problem they were trying to solve, or something, um, and they had a curious nature. Yeah. Uh, that kind of drove them at at some level, maybe not not every level, but it's uh it's interesting that that many people who uh yeah, and maybe it's the word you know um, yeah yeah it, I'm, I, when I was younger <laughs> when I yeah. when I was younger uh the idea of you know being an entrepreneur was you know uh kind of a scary thing it wasn't a word that was like bantered about like it is now there weren't books you could run to the store and just pick up and say oh i'm i'm going to read a book about entrepreneurship yeah. i think i'm going to yeah. give that a try <laughs> what are you entrepreneuring um, today yeah 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 so yeah. uh so it's kind of uh it's interesting it's interesting yeah. but yeah i thought it would see uh see your perspective on that so that's great yeah it's hard to, it's hard for for people to describe themselves as entrepreneur. I, I don't know if I would have described myself as an entrepreneur at 25 um, because I wasn't successful yet. <laughs> so back then I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I just look, look away and come back to see me if I'm successful. But um, that's sometimes uh, there's, there's often, um, a stigma attached to being an entrepreneur too. Uh, hmm. you know, so everybody's, everybody's different. Um, there is no, there's no roadmap to being an entrepreneur, I guess is the, is the short story. Uh, you know, my family would call me crazy, uh, most <laughs> of the time because, you know, I'm always, you know, pushing, they, they wonder when I'm going to stop pushing, like when I'm going to stop trying to develop new things or new ideas and and um because they they believe you know when i was growing up it was always told to me well you gotta you gotta go to school and you gotta learn something and then you gotta go work for a company for 35 years and mm. to me that was never a path to me i and I think some of my former employers who may listen to this are going to say, <laughs> yeah, Doug was not a good employee. Um, <laughs> it, it was like herding monkeys for, <laughs> for a while with me because I was always, I was, I would call my boss and say, listen, I got to go to Chicago for three days. Is that okay? <laughs> and as a business owner, I guess they would look and say, well, what do I do? I, you know, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, so, but, um, you know, guys like me are, are very challenging, uh, for a lot of people. Um, 
I, I think I'm a good guy, but I'm not good working for somebody else. <laughs> well, we we appreciate you, and we appreciate everything that you're uh, you're Thanks. bringing to uh, to ignite and Thanks. to Nova Scotia, and and trying to make a make a difference here in our region. Um, if if people want to learn more about uh, about ignite or about you or the work that you're doing, what's what's the best way that they can um, can do that? Uh, Come see me in Yarmouth or Pictou County. <laughs> You're more than welcome. I'll buy you a coffee. Um, but uh, uh, our website's igniteatlantic.com. Um, but I but I always like hearing from people and, uh, you know, helping people. So so it's just a matter of reaching out to the team here and and uh, and having some conversation. But uh, but it's pretty easy. Uh, website's the best approach or find me on LinkedIn or you know, I'm not hard to find. If you Google <laughs> Doug Jones, you'll find a politician, an actor, and me. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm not a politician or an actor. So yeah, <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Uh, as th- I just want to thank you so much for for joining us today and being oh, our a podcast guest. It was really excellent to hear your perspectives and hear about everything that you're up to, your experiences uh, in the sports industry and with Ignite. Um, And with that, I will uh, thank you for joining us one last time and to remind our listeners to uh, check out our website at onsidenow.ca for more information about Onside and to catch up on any podcast that you may have missed and to learn more about us. Thanks very much and tune in next time.